Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Hipster Podcast. This is your host, the Crypto Hipster, Jamil Hassan, where I bring you founders, entrepreneurs, executives, thought leaders, artists, musicians, you name it, all over the world in crypto and blockchain. And today, actually today and the summer season, I am bringing to you a new compilation episode. Last year, from seasons one, two, and three, I brought you the Crypto Hipsters Chronicles. And now, from season four and five, without further ado, I bring you the Crypto Hipsters Mysticals. And what that is, and what it was last year, and what it is this year, it's a compilation. It's a compilation of three or four podcasts together as like a montage. And on a certain topic or area of interest in crypto and blockchain, pulling from my podcasts. And now, as we're heading to the summer of 2023, I bring to you the Crypto Hipsters Mysticals. And there's going to be 22 or 23 or 24 around their episodes. And I look forward to you looking forward to it. So thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you for, for enjoying my podcasts. And this is going to be a summer treat for everybody. So please sit back, enjoy, and uh, yeah, let me know your thoughts. This is episode four of the Crypto Hipsters Mysticals with your host, Jamil Hassan. The title of this episode is The Future of Crypto Platforms, Infrastructure, and Decentralized Autonomous Organizations. With guests, Nishal Gaba, who's the Chief Marketing Officer at DeFi Edge. Next is Christian Niedermuller, who is the Chief Executive Officer at BlockTrade. And third is Nicholas Bayagaj, who is the Founder and Chief Executive Officer of Q Blockchain. Enjoy. How can let me let me shift a little bit here, but not really. Um, how can blockchain projects, not that that retail user, but how can blockchain projects benefit from creating their own decentralized exchanges? And why might that be a solution to potentially to overreaching regulatory government agencies? Yes, so I'll answer that in two parts. First, I think a lot of good news came around DeFi by the agencies a little bit because these uh, a lot of regulatory measures are already taken itself in a decentralized place. You are not suggesting the user, you are not pointing the user, you are not recommending a user to invest in a particular thing, you are not offering any kind of financial advice. And the funds are non-custodial, so they are safe. User can take it out anytime as well. It's just that you're offering a service. So that Actually, natively itself, DeFi answers a lot of regulatory questions that might be the case as well. And then, you know, we have already added measures for information, analytics, you know, terms and conditions, informatics, tool tips, a lot of things to help the user guide the process and try to safeguard him from anything, right? Because, but at the end, it's his decision, right? If you want to buy a coin and you're very convinced about it, it's there, but no misinformation should come through the platform itself. That's one thing. Now, how these projects, uh, you know, uh, build the DeFi native projects can help from building these exchanges. One, because natively everybody wants to, you know, have money investment in swap to coins itself. 
as part of the decentralized exchanges as i said you know a lot of freedom is needed but there might be users who want long term money who has higher risk appetite so there are different kind of things as well because you want to open your decentralized exchange tomorrow if you can offer the users a little bit more freedom or a new mechanism which is not usually available outside right there is always something missing uh, you can't just say this is the perfect amm and then nobody should build on top of it anyways right this is not mature and as the infrastructure changes more you know layers are coming cross chain operability for example that's not something that's very up yet right if i just want to put in money in one exchange in arbitrum and it's live my contracts are live on optimism as well i should be very easily able to move the money within there right but usually bridges are taking the help of that so there is a lot of work to be still done uh, so it definitely benefits one uh, but the protocols help you know uh, induce more transactions on a particular blockchain for example uh, if i say you know binance for example binance is very up on you know how projects can contribute to the transactions and that's naturally you know uh, good to measure the contribution that this protocol for example defi is helping create these many transactions first if you create a dao and a exchange you contribute to a chain's ecosystem because any token for example a gaming token or you can say any kind of lending project they do want that token management right they want you know people to be able to buy and sell their token at a very safe place plus they want their own treasury management as well and that's where these centralized exchanges are the biggest place and the market is very huge it's not just that uniswap has all the liquidity in the world it's a little but others are still you know rising up Quickswap is there, PancakeSwap P3 is there as well, and they offer their own kind of mechanisms. It's a user's choice which it chooses, right? At the end of the day, you can just offer them the offerings. Now, how they can benefit is via the protocol fees plus the adoption as well, which they can bring, right? Protocol fees, for example, uh, Quickswap charges a very small fees, right? Can be very minute, but it still is good for them to have that kind of a thing. Uh, and for example, for a project like Asdefiage. Uh, you know when we do alo we charge approximately you can say 10% the number varies by each protocol but we charge a fees of 10% on profit for treasury management so public strategies are totally free we don't charge any fees usually you know 0% management 0% performance if somebody else is managing they might charge a small amount but how we can benefit from that now is the protocol who wanted a better treasury and returns they get that we help them to market so they are you know getting more and the ecosystem of the decentralized exchange is helping that protocol maintain its liquidity there right so even if they charge a small fees that's revenue but otherwise they still have a strong community of building and whoever gets listed on that exchange can be benefited as a protocol. for example as i said if a protocol is not listed on uniswap v3 or a major dex you start wondering which two central right of is there is a chance my liquidity gets stuck so that's where they can benefit as well but still i think a lot of work needs to be done in the revenue side of things uh for a protocol like it's heavy investment uh but the returns are still you know in terms of protocol earning a little less for example uniswap has zero protocols they don't have any protocol fees at all so they are not making revenue but they're still leading the ecosystem and then they can have other kind of ecosystem partners also that can be benefited right from monitoring i am not very sure about the internal details but i think it's more about making the community stable and it's too early to judge in just in terms of revenue because if you see there is still a lot of maturity coming around defi we are in the crypto space so we think it's a thing but if you just go to a trader and try to explain in uniswap p3 then you will realize you know what is the state and we do that every day right go to new people try to explain them these things so you still see that it's a long way to go and it's we should focus more on adoption and the freedom and benefit to people right now but i think in the long term whoever is the leader will definitely have the first say on you know, to run in that
already seeing that. Um, you're seeing that in the coin gecko first quarter report. You've seen that in all the DAP radar reports that Asia and Europe are booming as far as gaming is concerned. You know, and you said you're on the you're on the um the bridge there or the cusp of the bridge of gamification and exchanges, right? Do you think are possible now um with your exchange and these you know the growth in the in the growing sectors of the of the crypto economy? By purpose, we uh, didn't want to like restrict us only on the crypto community. So we really want to bring crypto actually to gaming uh, with gamification elements, but as well with with, uh, with actual gaming offerings uh, on the exchange, but also integrating our exchange uh, outside uh, in, in gaming companies and platforms. And this like this merge and looking um, to other areas. Uh, and to other like growing areas, this will also be good for for the crypto industry, but also like uh, for for other for other industries. And this will lead to like a lot of like new uh, like symbiotic offerings and uh, like to very interesting innovative elements. I think which will will come up. I mean, just to give you an example, we are talking to a game company, for example, that we ha we will have something like a uh, a staking game directly on on our exchange you know i mean still there are some uncertainties around legal questions and around questions around like is this from a gaming perspective possible but with with this element you can see that i think a lot of innovation uh, will happen if a market is kind of saturated or is is in a consolidation phase some players uh, are aiming to to differentiate themselves in an interesting way are interested as well to collab collaborate with different and new players. And this normally always leads to one or the other innovative elements. Uh, um, yeah, so yeah, that's that's how I see it, yeah. More collaboration, more uh, cross-defense thinking. Uh, and I think this will be, will be good overall, yeah. It'll lead to new innovations. Right, so let's talk about that. In the early 1920s in the U.S., they created something called the air conditioner, right? Um, and from there, you had all kinds of industries. You had not just the main industry of creating the air conditioner, but you had refrigeration, you had gasoline, you had all kinds of things that were cert that were corresponding um, support sectors, right? And you don't have that right now in crypto, right? Um, how do we get there? How do we navigate that challenge and some other challenges too, collectively and collaboratively, so that we can build support structures around the industry? So I think like that that's exactly what's happening. You can't imagine how many emails I'm getting per day from companies like which are reaching out, which are doing exactly these things, like building infrastructure around crypto, like on the marketing side of things, but also on the like on the exchange infrastructure side of things, on like like being it uh, development development offerings, being it like product completely product outsourcing offerings, or product development offerings. So I think there's a lot of like a lot of development on the infrastructure side, which is a little bit under the radar, you know. Like I mean, I I I witnessed that a lot because like. I, I get approached proactively by so many projects doing their business development and like 
product fine tuning let's put it that way so i think there's there's a lot happening in in this respect and a lot of like small medium-sized companies are, are are finding their way let's let's put it that way uh on the on the infrastructure side of things in the industry like i i see a lot of development there yeah and you also see more traditional players like smaller banks tapping in in areas like being a liquidity provider uh or like buying up a crypto liquidity provider which is in trouble for example and like adopting uh, this to their normal traditional business and so I think, and this also comes a little bit with the thought or thoughts I, I shared around consolidation and collaboration. This is exactly what what I'm what I'm seeing right now in the industry. So let's talk about the Constitution, right? A lot of people say, you know, in the U.S., especially U.S. has a Constitution. Oh, if it's not directly written in the Constitution, then it's not a really a rule. But the Constitution, you know, has been a living, breathing document for a few hundred years, you know, that is not just its original words by the founders of the country. It actually includes case law, right? Case law, which I guess are equivalent of coding by decision by one offs, right? How do you how do you incorporate these one offs, these case, you know, uh, situations to the code or by judgment to your platform and what you do? So I think, first of all, um, the, the Q constitution, or what we call uh, a constitution, is a, is a little different from the, the Constitution of the United States in, in that it is, it is a private contract between all um, stakeholders and all Q token holders, uh, all the members of the community of, of the Q ecosystem. So it's a private contract. And the... Uh, like a normal nation-state constitution, uh, like like the one of the U.S., that assumes there is a whole body of uh, government judges, like a judiciary, an executive body, and so forth, in order for those rules to be interpreted, that's then the case law, and uh, be complied with or uh, executed or uh, enforced, which is then done by the executive. So we don't have that, but we're trying to create something similar in that we're thinking about it more in terms of private contracts between a huge number of of members. That could be members of a DAO, that could be uh, like owners of a protocol, that could be um, all kinds of, of communities could have those rules as private contracts amongst all of themselves and saying like, we commit to abiding to the following principles and, and whatnot. So I think that's that's one. So the second thing is how do you deal with case law then is um, it becomes much easier if you have a one-to-one -one situation because any kind of dispute will only appear at the face of it, uh, will only appear between two parties that are in that dispute. And then the community, however, might decide um, over time that, well, we want to benefit from previous discussions or previous cases. And um, they might ask everybody to, to uh, uh, make public those cases 
which in private arbitration is not necessarily the, the, the case. And uh, also the community could decide we, we want for, for those um, past cases to be taken into account in new decisions, which is essentially then saying like, we're taking it into account case law. I'm I'm not so sure whether that would be a good idea. I think that really will depend on the type of community, um, when in in the growth phases of a project, would you think about it? Because there's also there's always a flip side to that coin. So case law is great, but it it's very difficult to establish early on. And there need then to be rules how to interpret and apply case law is it binary is it whenever there's been a case then how do you change over time i think that's something that always uh, i found to be very very critical in everything you do because if there's only one constant it's change right so we we have to have very transparent and clear ideas and mechanisms on how to change even like a constitution because we will need to be able to adapt it it's the same like with code um, and what we've talked about earlier if you you need to have very good decentralized mechanisms to upgrade code otherwise you're stuck with what you have in in the beginning and for some very simple business models or very rigid uh that that might be a good thing but for most it's not you said you said a word early on in your answer and i want to ask you about this i think you have it in place is arbitration right how does your arbitration work so the the icc um court of arbitration as i said the biggest in the in the world is um plugged into the, the queue system in that they um, they looked at the constitution, they looked at the contract, and they said like, well, um, we would be fine taking and accepting any dispute that arises out of uh, that contract. So if there are parties to that contract, like queue community members or stakeholders of queue, that uh, have a conflict or a dispute, they said we would be uh, we would claim jurisdiction and say like yeah you can come and, and we will find an, an an answer to that. So they have a full due process in place. Um, they have um, their arbitrators that are um, available and so forth. So if there if, if there was a um, conflict, let's say over the slashing, the validator would go and say like the slashing was uh, in, would not was not justified it was too much or not at all whatever and um they would take that to the icc so they would go to the icc say like this is what happened this is the contract this is the situation and then the the, the root notes uh, uh will send a um like one of the root notes will go and uh, they will have this arbitration and then they they will accept the arbitration because in the contract already, they said like, whenever there's a dispute and we go before the ICC court of arbitration, we will accept their uh, um, judgment. And then that judgment will be taken and um, will be executed on chain or off chain, depending on what the outcome is. Uh, 